Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Hey there, it's Michelle Williams, and I'm so glad you joined my podcast today. I know that it's been so difficult for everyone struggling with mental health during this quarantine. And since I started writing my book, Checking In, I actually started way before this pandemic even hit this country. And I never thought my book about my journey with mental health might be so relevant. As it relates to my personal journey during this pandemic. I've said it over and over. Y'all are probably going to get tired of hearing me say this, but I'm a homebody. So when they put us on lockdown, I know for myself, I was actually okay. I did a lot of decorating. I became a plant mom. But at the same time, I had a tour that was canceled. I was supposed to be on an amazing tour this summer and it got canceled. I've had to turn a lot of my work and a lot of my meetings virtually, just like everybody else. Everybody is working from home. I haven't really been able to see my family. We had a crazy health scare with my dad. He goes to dialysis, you know, like three times a week and he actually coded. His heart stopped for about 10 minutes. And the fact that I couldn't be there or the fact that even if I could have been home in Rockford, Illinois, I wouldn't have been able to go to the hospital to hold his hand when they actually they brought my father back to life. He was literally dead for 10 minutes. But just to know my mom was there by herself and just overwhelmed with so many decisions. How many of y'all out there have been overwhelmed with so many decisions? The bills got to get paid. The kids got to go to school. You don't have a nanny. There's no one there that can homeschool your children. You've had to kind of redo your schedules to be home with your kids for school or whatever it is that you had to do. We've all had some issues and problems that we probably normally wouldn't have had to deal with because of this pandemic. The rates of anxiety and depression have risen. People are worried about 
their jobs. People are worried about their loved ones. I've been so worried about my loved ones, my parents, you know, with their underlying health conditions. There's so much that we're worried about. People are worried about, are they going to have a job tomorrow? Are they going to have to create something for more income? Kids and teens, you're being schooled in a total different way. You've had to be homeschooled. And I'm sure you were looking forward to going to school, uh, playing and hanging out with your friends. Sports have been different. You haven't been able to go out for sports. You haven't been able to practice with everybody like you normally would pre-pandemic. And I just wanted to just share just words of encouragement, everyone, that I know we are going to get through it. If we can look through the track record of our nation and our world, how people have gotten through some of the hardest times. I know it doesn't feel like it and you probably don't even want to hear it right now because you are probably going through it. But I know that we can get through it. Our track record shows we can get through anything if we just love each other and respect each other during this time and then just figure out ways where maybe you can be of help to someone else because I really feel like when you help someone else, you actually help yourself. And my heart does go out to people who have been touched by COVID-19 in some way, even as it relates to if you've lost a loved one, how you weren't able to really celebrate their life like you normally would because maybe the funeral homes only allowed 10 people in at a time. So you weren't able to, you know, celebrate their life like you normally would. But I hope that this episode brings some hope And I hope this episode encourages people to take care of their health when you feel like something's been lingering too long, that you would check in with your doctor and take care of your health. Today, I have an amazing guest who's going to share some things that may help get you through. And this is all going to happen right now on Checking In with Michelle Williams. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to Checking In. I am so thrilled and honored to have someone that I just totally admire and love. He is a busy man, and he's taking time out of his schedule to be with me today on Checking In with Michelle. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the amazing Dr. Oz. Everybody. Like I need claps. I need claps. I need wind machines. I need fog. He's amazing. And I'm just so happy that you are here sharing with me this morning. And I really appreciate you. Well, you're very kind. Lots to talk about today. We picked the perfect time to interview. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So much to talk about, uh, Dr. Oz. And I know people say, you know, he needs no introduction. And I don't know. I really think you do need a proper introduction. It's cool to honor people while they can hear. And then sometimes it's good to do a rundown of everything that you've accomplished. I know for me, sometimes it's a reminder for me, but you have won 10 daytime Emmys. And what I know about you is that you are still a practicing heart surgeon and still maintain time to come and talk to me and film your show and do so many other things. How are you juggling everything and still practicing medicine? Because some people that come over to the world of entertainment, 
they have to kind of maybe give up one for the other. Well, I'm blessed to have great teams. I trained a lot of the heart surgeons that I work with at Columbia University, New York Presbyterian, where I'm on the faculty. And so it's a blessing to go back and spend time with them. So for me, it's therapeutic. I get to actually be with friends. But also, I've always felt the show was about harvesting what happens in my office and putting it in your living room through the television. So if I'm taking care of people and I'm looking at you in the eyes and saying, we can do this, we can get through this together, uh, but I need your help because you got to play your end of the bargain as well. Stop smoking, eat better, you know, feel, stay, stay optimistic. And when you're having your procedure, then, you know, that's the, the connection, the intimacy that we try to bottle and put on the, on the air. And so I think I'm a better host because I'm so practicing. Mm, okay. And I've been telling people that, yes, you are in medicine. But I also like your approach to the majority of things holistically and so appreciative of you for that. Why do you have that approach with medicine? You know, I, I actually was raised fairly traditionally. I'm, my parents are immigrants, so I understood how medicine was practiced in Turkey was different from here. But what really got me was my mother-in-law. When I met my wife, her mom was all over integrative medicine and her dad's a famous doctor and I saw that he'd adopted it. So I began to re-examine some of the assumptions I made about traditional medicine myself. And I realized, my goodness, there's lots of wisdom here that your lifestyle makes such a huge difference that to ignore it uh, is, is shameful. But also there are lots of home therapies that you ought to be looking at. They're easy and inexpensive and simple to apply. And all this yeah. wisdom from generations past, traditions from other countries, like traditional Chinese medicine or uh, uh, African medicine from this Amazonian basin in South America. I mean, they have the same problems we have, right? They have problems with libido and depression and headaches. And so what do they do? You know, for 2000 years, the Indians and in Ayurvedic medicine have been treating these problems as well. So what can we learn from these other cultures, these other traditions that we can bring back to make Americans healthier? But the big breakthrough idea, Michelle, that question was to empower people to realize that they are the world experts on their bodies. And if they appreciate they'll act accordingly. Because I have you here, you have been privy to my journey as it relates to my mental health. And the whole premise of checking in is to just check in with others and see how they're doing with their health, their relationships. It could be finances and travel, but I just know while I have you here, the state of our nation right now and how it's playing into our mental health. What is your take on just it generally, because everybody's cases are different, but have you seen an increase, any changes in mental health, in your mental health or others around you? Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, 
you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Big time. 91% of the audience says they have more anxiety. I witnessed it in my family. I feel it sometimes. You just feel down because the basic structure of society has been fractured, not just with COVID-19, but I think COVID-19 accelerated a lot of what people were sensing and feeling it, you know, poured kerosene in a fire that was already out there. And so a lot of Americans just don't feel like they have the same uh, foundation of of happiness that they think they're supposed to have. But I'm here to tell you, it's there. It's our job to find it. That's what America's about. You know, we're, we're inventors as a people. Think about it. Are there any, you know, United Statesians? We don't call ourselves that, do we? Because we don't define mm. ourselves the way that Germans or the English or the French might define themselves. You know, we're a new society and we were built on ideas. And so we got to adjust our ideas, mature ideas, but you only help ideas get better by talking about them. So I think the root to all of our issues right now is we're not able to talk. Now, COVID is a problem because you can't go out to your friends at a party and talk. Um, but also race and gender issues and all the other problems happen because people can't say they're, they, they can't say what they really feel. And I think we need to get comfortable as a society, you know, crossing the line, so to speak, if there's love in the message. And if the purpose is yes, to sir. improve and make it better and help each other, you know what? You can deliver a lot of news that way. I'm a doctor, right? So I can deliver bad news to a patient, news they do not want to hear, like you need to have heart surgery. I got to stop your heart and open your chest. Nobody wants to hear that news. But if I deliver it in the right way, a patient will willingly come along because they trust yes. that, I, that I'm giving them chi. I'm giving them love and energy. There's the best I, way I know how to. You just mentioned COVID, um, this pandemic that has ravished our nation, ravished our world. What have you seen personally as it relates to COVID? Did you have to, 
were you deployed to do things related to COVID or were you able to stay just practicing heart medicine? No, I, I wasn't pulled to the front lines of the actual COVID treatments, but the hospital itself, my institution was one of the epicenters. So they converted our operating rooms into COVID treatment centers. We had to have ventilators okay. uh, that normally would have been used for heart surgery, be used for people who are sick. Thankfully, the worst of that has passed, but we're coming this, to the second wave right now. But I got to say, a lot of doctors are burnt out by COVID and nurses because they're worn out. They're scared because there's continuing COVID all around us. They're frustrated. They don't have yes, enough sir. equipment. Uh, mm. And then mon the money is actually difficult because when a doctor has a small practice and they're dependent on people coming in for their evaluations and their procedures and no one shows up because no one's leaving their home because of COVID, the practice goes out of business because you got to pay all the staff and the rent and everything else. So th this is a difficult time for the healing profession. Mm. I'm proud, proud of my brethren for, for participating in keeping America alive, but I feel badly as well uh, because the, the, it's been a, that much more difficult for us in medicine uh, than we would have expected. If you were in charge, what would you suggest right now as it relates to COVID-19? And then we'll move on. Well, I, I tell you, I would have isolated scalpel-like approaches to dealing with the problem. If you've got a big outbreak in Coney Island, Deal with Coney Island. Don't make Manhattan follow the rules for Coney Island. And don't make Kansas follow New York City's rules and vice versa, because we're different. Yes. So I think that has been a problem all through this pandemic. We decide as an entire nation, we're going to do something. Most of the country doesn't have the problem. And now after a few months of following the rules that were designed for the worst parts of the country, they, they get tired. They get COVID fatigue. They don't follow the rules because it didn't make a difference the first time around. You're teaching them to not pay attention. And then they get hit by COVID. So right now in America, almost every state's got a problem with COVID. So let's use surgical precision to get in there, deal with the problems and get back. The other thing I would say to Americans is stop fighting about masks and social distancing. I'm going to wear a mask to protect you. If you don't want to wear a mask, I don't think you're a bad person and evil and trying to destroy the world. I get that you have a different opinion on it than I do. Um, I'd like you to come along. I'll talk to you about it. But if if I'm coming at you like, like with a banshee with an axe, then no, you're not going to respond so well to it. And that's how people perceive. Think about the vaccine. Michelle, this is an important part. You know, people of color, as you know, generally do not like being in clinical trials. It hadn't worked out so well in the past. So in fact, new Moderna vaccines purposely slowed down to enroll 37% people of color is a big deal because it worked. It was proven to work on people who were black, white, and everything in between. Yes, yes. So you, you want people to feel like this vaccine might be in their best interest as well. So how do you do it? Don't make people feel dumb that because they didn't get a vaccine. Let the people who want to get vaccinated get vaccinated because guess what? We don't have enough anyway. Then once the people got vaccinated and you're and their cousins and, and, and friends see that they're doing okay, they'll start to get vaccinated too. Listen, y'all, I'm for Dr. Oz 2024. Let's transition into racial injustice and bias in healthcare. First of all, I'm just so excited about your More Black Doctors campaign. Can you please, in your words, tell us why you started it and what's it all about? How can we get behind it? If you just look at the numbers um, and focus on one fundamental reality, which is that Black people don't get the same clinical results as white people and black people who get cared for by white doctors get even worse results than if they have care by black doctors. Now, I don't think that's because doctors are racist. I don't I think that people are trying to hurt each other. I think there's some fundamental benefits when someone who looks like you and understands your culture is taking care of you. Mm. We have about 5% of doctors in America being black. 
we have 13% of the population being black. So we have a mismatch. And so having more black doctors will help our healthcare system work better, give better outcomes to everybody. And it seems like the right thing to do. The problem is not enough black people are interested in healthcare because they don't think it's something they could do. I didn't realize this, but I got a foundation called HealthCore. We've raised about $100 million over the last 17 years. HealthCore goes into schools and teaches kids about health. But now I'm going into schools and teaching kids to go into health mm. because a lot of young, bright kids could actually be doctors, nurses, techs. You know, they could just work in a hospital. Why not? They're great jobs. They pay well. You know, you, let's get people to aim at, at a wider horizon of potential futures than what they feel constrained by. So all my friends who are black doctors are, are chipping in. We're doing a bunch of seminars, trying to get the hundreds of thousands of, of young black potential medical student applicants. We're giving scholarships out to help defray some mm. of the costs of, of uh, these, because it's, it's expensive to go to medical school, but that shouldn't be a reason not to go to medical school. You can do a ton of good once you've gone there. But most importantly, I, I think that we get to sort of reset the expectations for a lot of people. Yes, when sir. you see someone who looks just like you thriving as a doctor, you think, well, you know, that could be me. You know, that's what it works in sports, right? You see great athletes do wonderful things on the playing field. And you think, I want to be like that. Well, the same happens in medicine, same basic role. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Well, you have me thinking so much when you were talking about more black doctors, more uh, in medical school. And I'm excited. I come from a medical family. I have three black doctors. My uncle is a doctor and I have two cousins. Um, he was a family practitioner. One is an emergency medicine mm -hmm. physician. And then the other is, I'm, I think I'm saying it right, in family practice as yep. well. So I've got to tell them about what you've got going and maybe y'all can link up. I don't know. Maybe you come to the family reunion and y'all can talk about it. But family reunions, 
definitely not till 2021, 2022. <laughs> I asked my, I was asking my mother, you know, what does she want to do for the holidays? And she simply said, baby, don't you worry. Don't you just come home maybe next year sometime. And I was so sad because I never thought I'd hear my mom say, don't worry, maybe just come home at the top of the year or next year. And that's what's truly disheartening about you know, this whole um, pandemic, even though that's not what we were talking about as far as your more Black doctors campaign. um, I definitely want to know, what do you think the medical community can do right now to help the disparity of medical treatment for Black people? Well, one thing is to realize that the bias exists. And doctors are pretty good about this. You know, we, we, we go into medicine to try to heal people when we realize there's a systemic problem like exists right now with racial disparities in healthcare, uh, you start to take it seriously. Admitting more doctors uh, that are black uh, is part of it, uh, but you also need to give the mentoring to people who are in the field who are of color because mm-hmm. someone's got to sort of show you the path, right? Or else you can't get to the finish line. So all of these are things we're addressing. My good friend of mine, Ray Dalio, just gave $50 million to my hospital, New York Presbyterian, to study racial disparities. Mike Bloomberg, who was the mayor of New York, yes. gave $100 million to four black universities so that medical school and those schools and those systems would become either free or steeply discounted. So there's a lot of people stepping up to make a difference. That's so good. You got to shine a light, right? You got to actually have awareness that it's a problem or you can't fix it. You can't treat a disease you don't understand. And I think if people take that attitude towards it, see, I, I started getting interested in this in a big way. I, mean, I knew the numbers, but I had one of my producers come up and say that black women see doctors the way black men see police officers. Whoa. And that stopped me in my tracks. Really? I never thought about that before. The idea that there could be fear, uh, a, a lack of respect, uh, a concern that you might not be seen as a human being. Never, I never imagined that was actually a sentiment, but it turns out that it's more common than I like to acknowledge. And when you have that level of insight, as painful as it is to acknowledge, then you can treat it. And that's what we're trying to do, not just in in medicine, but other parts of America. You know what? As the kids today are saying, I was today years old learning that black women see doctors the way black men see police. I would have thought it would be black men just period because I could be wrong, but I just feel like black women, we go to the doctor more than black men. It could just be a men thing, period, who don't like doctors. Yeah, that's a men thing. I mean, I, okay. I understand why men don't go to doctors, but black women come to a doctor and they know that their pain doesn't get treated the same way, uh, that their children are more likely to have complications. Their their childbirth is riskier. Childbirth mortality, yeah, yeah. So all these numbers that your mom was a nurse can, you know, can attest. And we've known this for a while, but we sort of blamed it on other issues happening outside the hospital. And there's some, there is some of that, right? There's that all happening in the hospital. But all of us, I think, in medicine begin to realize we can do better. And the nice thing is there are things that actually we can do. <laughs> you, don't yes, have to, like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Part of the solution is to take advantage of the fact that people speak the language. They understand the culture. They can communicate. I'll tell you one good example. You mentioned black men. Black men who have a primary care doctor that is black will listen to their advice. They'll start doing the preventive things that make sense. There's just a way of communicating that works. A black man going to a white doctor, they don't take care of their blood pressure, their diabetes. They don't lose the weight. They don't pay attention to the advice, even though it's the same advice. Now, is it expressed differently? Is it lacking a little nuance? But I think about it literally as a language barrier, right? Mm-hmm. Just, it, it just don't quite match up quite right. So when I say it, it's different from when a black doctor says it. Really? Because I feel like if both doctors are saying, bro, take care of your heart, 
you can die if you don't change your diet. That should be enough. But at the same time, I I can understand where you where you are coming from. I mean, I'm a woman, so I'm going to the doctor. <laughs> Matter of fact, I had my first mammogram. I mean, there's just because all you know, it runs in my family, and so I just think you know, it's important everybody in the listening world you know, to go get your checkups at whatever age you're supposed to get them. And if it runs in your family, you might have to start a few years earlier than the normal men. You're just going to have to hold on to a chair and go get your prostate checked. <laughs> um, Dr. Isaac, thank you so much. Um, I definitely love hearing your perspective as it relates to anxiety and depression and we already know that um, anxiety and depression has skyrocketed. If I'm not mistaken, suicide rates have gone up during the pandemic. So how do you think that the pandemic has exposed issues that were already present with someone's mental health? Well, for sure, the safety net to humanity is each other. And so if you're dependent on your friends and family to crutch on because you're having mental health issues and they're no longer there because of social distancing requirements or other stresses created by the pandemic, or you lost your job, which was giving you your stability and your worldview, then all yes. of a sudden you begin to spiral out of, uh, out of control and the center can't hold. And I think we're seeing that expressed by different people, different socioeconomic groups uh, all over the place. And it's painful to witness. And it's hard to imagine one single event like a pandemic could unravel so many people, but it's happened already. The good news, again, is because we know where the finish line is, a lot more Americans are going to start to say, okay, I can do this for three more months. Here's what's going to need to happen. Here's how I'm going to support you. But the world's never going back to where it was, yes. Michelle. We're going to have to actually deal with this uh, post-COVID as well. Now that it's been exposed, mm -hmm. let's deal with it in an effective way. For example, telehealth is a big opportunity. A lot of people don't realize that they don't have to go sit in the doctor's office, be exposed to COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but yep. also, you know, if they live in a part of the country where you can't get a mental health professional, it's okay. You can go talk to a you know, New York psychologist. You can do it over... The telemedicine. And as this is all being worked out and it's been accelerated dramatically because of COVID-19, we're going to be able to get people better access to care. That's what I'm most optimistic about. Do you feel we'll ever go back to the way things were where we could just freely walk around, no masks on, there should be no fear of travel? Or when do you think that will happen? I think that by, the, by next summer, most Americans will be able to travel around as they wish without huge limitations. And by this time next year, We'll be through this COVID and we won't have uh, the, the problems that we're facing now. However, yeah. uh, if there's a breakout of another illness, which there will be, you're going to quickly want to put your mask on, social distance. Now we're trained. We know how to do it. We'll stomp it down quickly, make a vaccine and rinse and repeat. The fact that we made this vaccine so quickly means we can do it again. Dr. Oz, truer words have never been spoken. The fact that, you know, we did come up with the vaccine so quickly. It kind of lets me know the power of what we as a nation can do when we all come together. Dr. Oz, I just want to thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I look forward to talking to you again. I, I love talking to you. We'll do it again sometime. Lots of regards to your mom for playing a major role because nurses are the glue that holds the whole system together. Thank you so much. Wow, Dr. Oz really shed some light on um, racial disparity in mental health um, as it relates to racial bias against Black people, which definitely could affect one's mental health. 
We've seen how people are treated differently when they go to the doctors. You're probably shunned or maybe your complaints aren't necessarily taken seriously, all because of the color of your skin. Did y'all hear what he said, where he said black women are scared of doctors the same way black men have a fear of the police? And that really, really just hit home for me. I hate that we have that fear of people who are to care for us, protect us. Like I said, doctors, they go to school to care for people. Um, A policeman, you decide to put that uniform on and you take that oath because you say you will protect us. I don't know. I'm sitting here mouth still open from that. But the light At the end of the tunnel is when he talks about his more black doctors campaign. And as he was saying that my heart just started leaping for joy because of the three black doctors that I have in my family and how when they come across somebody of color, they get to talk to them because it's a possibility a black person will listen to a black doctor first before they may listen to someone else. So listen, I know everybody has their dreams and aspirations out there, but if you can go to school to be a doctor, I'd say go for it. We need more black voices in the medical community. We need more people fighting for us. If it seems like I'm flip-flopping, it's because my mind is just turning because I'm also like, well, man, how can I be an asset How can I be a voice? How can I help bring healing even to families that were affected by experimental treatments? When you talk about the experiments in Tuskegee, when you talk about black women being messed with and they were made sterile, that is absolutely scary. And it's not like it happened a thousand years ago. It's not that it happened even 100 years ago. Some of this stuff happened 80 years ago, 70 years ago, 60 years ago. My parents are 68. That's not that long ago. I'm in my 40s. That's not so long ago. Now, I know to a two-year-old, they might look at you and say, man, you're old. But when you really think about it, everything that Dr. Oz was talking about was not that long ago. So just really take an assessment of what it is that you want to be in life. Really think about what you want to contribute to society. Really think about, hey, I want to be a bright light in this darkness. I might not be able to save the world, but with this podcast, if I can get to 100 people, I believe that that's who God wanted me to reach. You don't have to be seen on the blogs every day to make a difference. Your picture doesn't have to be snapped by the paparazzi to make a difference. We all have social media now. So that is giving us all a platform. We all have a platform. What are we going to do with our platform? What are we going to do with our education? What are we going to do? So make sure that you are utilizing your platform. Dr. Oz, my guest, He's utilizing his platform. He's also reaching out. If you listen to him, he talked about various people who have given like $100 million to black colleges. 
So we also have to remember as we're using our platform, we're just not talking, but we're actually walking. We're actually walking out what we're talking about. And on my podcast, I am using this to walk out what I'm talking about. When I see somebody down, I can spot it a mile away. And if it's just my smile or if it's just my wink at the waitress or waiter, not because I'm flirting, but to let them know I see you, I feel everything that you are going through. And I didn't mean to go on this rant, but just sometimes when I check in with you, I just have to speak what is on my heart. I just want checking in with Michelle Williams to change the world. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Until next time. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.